It's that time. Everything and anything basketball, presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers, this is Polar Opposites. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Polar Opposites. Spencer Byers, Cajun, Thiru, Thaney, Castellum, and Cage. We almost recorded last night after the Raptors game. Of course, you're working for the MLSE, the great MLSE, the multi-million dollar corporation, MLSE. Multi-million dollar corporation? Yeah, great. There's room for debate on that. Yeah. Not with the way they act with the Toronto Blue Jays, but that's not that's not this show. That's we'll let Al write about that tomorrow. But anyway, with that, thank goodness we didn't, because as we would have probably recorded last night, we would have fallen into James Harden was finally traded last night. So if you didn't, are you just hearing this now this morning as we record this at about midday, uh, Tuesday on Halloween, October thirty first. We fell backwards into this because this happened at like 10.30 last night. This did not happen at like 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock before a game. This happened basically after all of the games were started or finished, depending on what time zone you're in. So the Philadelphia 76ers get Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, Kenyon Martin Jr., a 2026 protected Clippers first-round pick, via Oklahoma City, a 2028 Clippers first-round pick that is unprotected, one uh, one pick swap in 2029, meaning whichever pick is better will go to the Clippers, or, yeah, go to or go, go to the Philadelphia Partners. Whatever pick is better, the Philadelphia 76ers will swap and take. And two second-round picks in 2024 and 2029. So they get a bunch of assets for a guy who didn't want to be there openly since three months ago. The Clippers get James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrozev. Petrozev, obviously, you and I talked about during the Serbia World Cup video against Canada. P.J. Tucker with James Harden. They've now been together in, if I'm not mistaken, Cage, they've been together in uh, Houston. Yep. They were together, obviously, here in Philly, and now they're going to be together back in, in – uh, in Los Angeles, and PJ the old what? PJ Tucker is basically James Bar- uh, James Harden's personal bodyguard at this point. Yeah, and then the Thunder somehow got in here. I'm not exactly sure where the Thunder kind of fit into this, but the Thunder are receiving a 2027 pick swap from the Clippers. So the Clippers technically up, I think that's four first round picks, if I'm not mistaken. But regardless of that. Of course, Presti had to get involved in this. Of course, and get more draft picks, because that's what they needed, Cage. If we, if we, if the Oklahoma City Thunder needed one more thing, Cage, it was more first-round draft picks, more pick swaps. But anyway, so Cage, what's looking at from a Sixers perspective first? A guy who openly didn't want to play for you, openly didn't come to practice for you, didn't put in any effort after saying he was gonna, which is what upset me the most, and as we all know, I had a a, a mini rant about it that I was very upset that Harden 
kind of went back on his word by saying, I am going to play basketball. I'm going to do my job. And then actively didn't do his job and didn't play basketball. But before I rehash that, he now will go to his desired location in Los Angeles. But the return they got for him, I think the set of players leaves something to be desired. But I think the draft capital they got, I think, is very important because now either they can use some of this draft capital to go get another star of some description if they want to build the round Embiid, or if Joel Embiid is telling them that maybe he wants to also leave and try to find a championship somewhere else, then you trade him at the deadline or maybe even later this season, and you grab more draft capital and add to what you've just gotten here for James Harden. And again, a guy who did not want to be in Philadelphia. So you basically got all these picks for nothing because he was not going to resign after this year. Anyway, implying he was going to play for him. So, Cage, what do you make of this trade for Philadelphia? Well, in terms of, like, the Joel Embiid situation, if Embiid, if this was a a precursor to Embiid demanding a trade, we would have known about this by now. It would have came out. But... I think why it was a little bit easier for them to get like to trade Harden right now. One, he didn't want to be there, but two, and I think you're gonna love what I'm about to say: Tyrese Maxey's emergence. Because, yes, it's only been three games, but I'm gonna say it. It might be, and it might be bold, but he looks like he could be a co-star. Like he could be like that co-star MB needs, because. In terms of Embiid's slow, burgeoning style of play, then you got like a blur like Maxi who can hit step backs. He's improved his handle over the offseason and can and can do and has turned into a better playmaker and he's done it well at both ends of the floor so far. I saw I saw him at Scotiabank Arena uh this past Saturday and he torched Toronto for 34. Um I think his emergence, his continued emergence, had made it a lot easier to trade away Harden because the longer Harden was on that roster, it would would have taken away from Maxi's touches. And people are kind of saying like, yeah, the draft capital is good, but the players they got back weren't the greatest. Well, for one. This clears up like fifty to sixty million dollars of cap space for next offseason in case they want to get someone, grab a star or a tra- trade for a star for a third star. But they also got depth, especially like you need you need some of those role players come come like playoff time that can guard the Jason Tatum's, the Jalen Browns, the LeBron James. Uh, the Giannis's. You got Nick Batum and Robert Covington, who are great defenders. Covington, Covington being back in Philadelphia. KJ, I KJ Martin can have a better role there in Philly, um, because they're really they're only back their backup centers, Paul Reed, um. And then more, and then Marcus Morris Senior can finally have like a finally have a role there to play, 
and provide a scoring punch off the uh, punch off the bench. So to sum all sum all of this up, a great pickup, a, a, a great job by Daryl Morey and the Sixers getting getting some value back for Harden, who did not want to be there. And I think it looks like they're trying to build around Embiid and Maxi, and I'm all for it because I think I think Max uh, I think I think for me personally, Tyrese Tyrese Maxi. They found a gem in Tyrese Maxi, and they got to give him the the keys to being the lead guard, and this trade sort of signifies that. I agree with you, kid, but I think they still need another guard to play with Maxi. And if that's an off-ball guard or another guy who can play on the ball, because I will be honest, I don't think Kelly Oubre Jr. is that guy. I don't think Patrick Beverly is that guy. Danny Green, obviously not that guy. Well, I don't think like Anthony Melton's that guy. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't really like any of their other guard options as a number, as a starter. All of these guys are great off the bench. Kelly Oubre is great off the bench. Beverly's great off the bench. Danny Green, you can argue his value at this point in his career, but regardless, the Anthony Melton, great player off the bench. You need that other starting guard, and I don't know if they're going to use all of the bench pieces they have from obviously the team they had before this trade and now the team they have after this trade. But and some of the draft capital they've got. But I think they need to find another guard to fit into this team to be able to say they can compete because Cage, even with all that depth, can this team compete with Boston and the Bucks? Because if they can't, then what's the point? Because that's what this team is looking at right now. The 76ers are not looking at Miami or or is that Cleveland. They're looking at Milwaukee and Boston. How can we beat them? And I think today we cannot say definitively in any real way breaking it down roster versus roster. And obviously you still have to play the games. So I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it is unlikely that the 76ers built currently can beat either the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. And you got to play one of them and suck around. You might have to play both of them onto, on your way to a finals bid. So you need to find a way to beat them. So they need at least one more starting guard. And then this team looks great because now they have the bench as well. And I think that's kind of what the draft capital is for, to trade for a guard. There is one underrated part of – there is one part of the Sixers that's kind of flown under the radar in spite of the contract that he has. But Tobias Harris has looked better offensively to start things off under Nick Durst. So if he can if he can go back to being a 20 point per game scorer and contribute in the way he did last season in which he was doing a little bit of everything then call me crazy call me crazy Spence but I kind of like the Sixers team as it as it is like I think one the distraction and the drama is now gone which is a big help they can focus on playing basketball unless Joel Embiid demands a trade. Um, they can focus on basketball now. They got good depth at the at the wing position, and I know having a guard is I know having a guard is bit like 
having guard depth, a starting guard would be great. But this is also a wings league. Okay, come but play, come playoff time, you gotta like it's it's the wings that will go off unless you're or the centers if you're Jokic and Embiid. It's the wings that are going to it's the superstar wings that are gonna carry come postseason time. So maybe regular season wise, yeah, you might need a starting guard here or there. But come playoff time, I'm not sure if that don't matter as much. So okay, well, it remains why, to be seen. It remains to be seen. But I kind like I like how the I kind of like how the Sixers team looks now. Why I disagree with you? Why I disagree? And I disagree with you of I'll say at an utmost degree right now is because of who they traded with. When you look at this Clippers roster, like now with James Harden, you have a you have a backcourt of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, technically Paul George, but if you want to play him at a three and quiet the four, monitor really matters. Terrence Mann, Bones Highland. Like there's so many good guards on Los Angeles. You couldn't have got one of them? Not even like one of the kids, like Josh Primo, the Canadian. Who obviously had some off the court issues, which got him out of San Antonio, or Brandon Boston, former Kentucky Wildcat. Like, and again, I'm not saying any like Bones had a really has had a really good start. I'm not saying Brandon Boston's a game changer. I'm not saying Josh Primo's a game changer. But just getting a guard, a even a young guard, a guy you can develop, and I again, very to be seen if if great Nick Nurse could develop a young guard. As he had problems with Malachi Flynn in in Toronto, but that again remains to be seen. You although know? I think, go ahead. Although I think Jaden Springer has had some has had his moments, like to start off the season. Maybe maybe he could be that one one kid that I wouldn't say has a breakout year like averages fifteen, but like can carve himself a role on the Sixers team. Uh, I, I just think, Cage, there's so many talented young guys on this Clippers team that you could have got one of them. And I'm not saying, of course, you're going to get a bunch of them because that's unrealistic, but you could have gotten more than just Kenyon Martin Jr. as the young pieces in that deal with the veterans they got, Robert Covington and and Marquise Morris, Marcus Morris, and etc. I I just feel like they could they could have gotten some better value out of the guys they got, because I feel like there's got to be something else coming from the Philadelphia side of things here. Because again, I just do not see a real possibility of them beating Milwaukee or Boston with the way they're currently constructed. I think they'll win their first round series rather easily, but I just don't know if they will be able to keep up with the Bucks or the Celtics. And obviously, again, we're still a mile away from that playoffs. And maybe I'm wrong. And I'm okay with that. I'll admit it if it happens. For Boston or the Milwaukee, if they beat them in the second round. But I just don't have a whole lot of confidence right now in what the Sixers have built. But before we continue to go circle, we go round and round. Let's move over now to the Clippers side of things. They get James Harden, P.J. Tucker, and Philip Petrozev. And again, they add Harden to a guard room of guys like technically Paul George, but we'll call him a forward. 
So Bones Highland, Russell Westbrook, even Norman Powell. Um, I don't know if I said Bones Highland, but Bones Highland, Terrence Mann. You know, a lot of really talented guards in in uh, Los Angeles. And they had depth and spades, so they could make a trade like this, just basically trading depth. And mm. now you got to think, Cage, their starting lineup will probably be Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and then and then Zubak as the center. I mean, I'm not sure as, a star, as starting lineups go, that might be a top three to four starting lineup in the league right now. Even with the players they are now, with with the with the way Russell Westbrook is now, with the way James Harden is now. See, I think one of Harden or Westbrook will go to the bench. Which would be Westbrook, you'd expect. Yeah, and I think and I think what the way they the Clippers have raved about Terrence Mann, I don't see him going to the bench. And I think like in a in a on a team where there's so many scorers at hand. Like Harden's lost a step in ter- uh, Harden's lost a step in terms of like his scoring, but he can still score. Kawhi and PG are bucket getters. Can can put the can put the ball in the bucket. You got a uh, a center that knows his role and stays in his lane and visa Zubac, and then a great backup center, Mason Plumlee. I think there's such a there's such a thing as too many mouths to feed in a, in like a starting lineup, which I think, which, in that case, man would be perfect to play as the starting two because he doesn't really need that much t- touches to succeed. He can do all the dirty work. And I think Westbrook off the bench could be a better thing, or it could be Harden off the bench. It depends on what the Clippers want to do to start off game. Do you want to push the pace? Do you want to slow it down, make it a half court game? If you slow it down and make it a half court game, Harden's better better off starting. If you want to push the pace, Westbrook's your guy. Because Westbrook has looked good as the starting point guard for the Clippers ever since he came ever since he switched jerseys at crypto.com arena. Um they do have an embarrassment of riches in terms of depth at the guard position. But two questions. Go ahead. Two questions. Can they focus on just basketball and no outside noise? And can they stay healthy? Because the Clippers haven't proved that they can do either. Or haven't proved that they can do both. And for me, it's a like on paper, this Clippers team could go all the way, but they've fallen short so many times in the Kawhi PG era. So it's like I have to like you got to wait and see at this point. Can they put their egos aside? Can Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi PG? Can guys who deserve, who think they deserve bigger roles, can they put their egos aside and win a championship? That to me is the bigger question. Well, I think Westbrook already has in in Los Angeles, but obviously the Clippers. I think he's kind of moved into that role of knowing that he's not where he 
maybe wants to be in his career, but he's where he's going to be kind of in his career. But Cage, um, I have to tell you something here. So what? the Clippers starting lineup the last three games before this trade was Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Robert Covington, and Zubak. With Bones Highland and Norman Powell being the backup guards. Trey Mann has even played, or Trey, Terrence Mann, pardon me, because I know Trey Mann's a different different individual. Uh, Terrence Mann hasn't even played yet. Oh, that's because he's been hurt. Exactly. So now you got to find a way to fit Terrence Mann, who hasn't played yet, and James Harden, who hasn't played yet. So I feel like one of them has to start with Westbrook in the starting lineup. And maybe you're right, and they, they flip-flop, not man, but they flip-flop between Harden and Westbrook. But I just don't see Tyron Lue doing that. I think Tyron Lue is going to see it as I want my best players on the floor for as long as I can have them on the floor. And if that means I got to play Westbrook, Harden, Paul, uh, George, and Kawhi, that's what I got to do. And he's going to live with what those guys will do, which is some bad shots, which is some stagnant offense at times because they are all bucket getters. But I think with the way Westbrook's played in with the Clippers, I think you can have confidence that that will work because he has not been taking the amount of shots we're used to seeing him take. Like, he had four points in one of the th- three games they played this season, Kate. Like, he, Westbrook has really moved into his role of being, okay, I am the facilitator between Kawhi and Paul. I am not the main bucket getter. I don't need to be, so why am I trying to be? Which I do think is why he will start over James if that is the way it works. Not because James Harden's not a good passer. He led the, led the league last year in assists. But because of the role Westbrook plays in the offense, I do think that the team will probably stick with um, Westbrook over his uh, former teammate in a couple of locations in James Harden. I'm going to throw it back to the 2011-2012 Thunder because they are Westbrook at the one, KD at the three, and Thabo Cephalosha at the two. And they had Harden coming off the bench. Now everybody knew, even 11 years ago, Harden was clearly the better player over Cephalosha. But Cephalosha brought a role. Cephalosha, but what that Thunder lineup really needed was not too much scoring, because they already had that in Westbrook and Durant. And Ibaka could score score a little bit, um, along with a shot-blocking presence. They needed someone who can be a 3 and D guy. Um, and so Felosha was that. So I think it doesn't like to me. It doesn't come down to like. There's such a thing as having too much talent in the in a starting lineup because of egos, and I know and I know Westbrook to his credit has done a great job of knowing his role. But we haven't seen James Harden do it to that degree, because he's going to have to sacrifice a lot more than he did in Philly. Now with Kawhi and PG on that or PG on the Clippers, so maybe he's got to embrace going back to that OKC role and being that sixth man. And I honestly, I'm with you. I'd rather see what Russell Westbrook in the starting lineup because their offense has looked good. 
with West with Westbrook pushing the pace, um, being the point guard that the Clippers need, and you say you've said Ty, you don't see Ty Lu like making that change and having men in the starting lineup, but they've raved about him. They, you can't rave about a guy like that and not and to the point that where you're not willing to trade him anywhere and have him come off the bench. I, I, but I just don't know if he fits the Robert Covington role. Is he going to be that guy? Are they going to make Norman Powell play that role now and be more of that kind of shooting guard, small forward-ass well, player? They, well, they need a guy who can, like, hit shots and can defend and can defend and do all the little things. And, I'm, and I think Terrence Mann can do that. Terrence Mann can fill that Thabo Cephalosha role like, like he did in years ago with the Thunder. Because I, th- I think right now the Clippers need a Thabo Cephalosha type player, type role, with the amount of scoring that's in that starting lineup. Who knew Cephalosha would get so many comments here on the show, by golly. Players, the guy hasn't played in the NBA in probably eight years. Anyway, I, I just don't know if Mann's nailed in that spot. Because again, Bones Highlands played great this year. And he'd be a great shooting guard right now. He's averaging, he's averaging the third most points on the team. Hasn't started a game yet. Shoot really well percentage-wise from the field and from three. You know, like, I just don't know if Terrence Mann is nailed in in my mind as that guy for the Clippers. Maybe he is with the Clippers. Maybe inside that locker room they know Trey Mann, Terrence Mann, pardon me, when he comes back will be the guy. But I just don't know that with the way this season started for Norman Powell, for Bones Highland. And then obviously when they get James Harden coming in, like, I just— I'm not convinced that it's going to be man. I'm not saying it won't be. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just not convinced at this point that's the way this is going to go. Mm. Because I feel like the, I feel like the Clippers are a team that you're going to see a lot of lineups a lot of different nights. I could see lineups where man's in and Harden's out. I can see lineups where Harden's in, Westbrook's out. I can see lineups where man's out, Harden's in, or Westbrook are in. I can yep. see lineups where they're both out, and you see Bones Highland start. Like they're the Clippers are one of the few teams in the league right now where they have so many talented players that you could genuinely start a lot of them in certain situations, depending on the look you want to give the opponent. And there's not a whole lot of teams that can say that right now, with yeah. the, either talent of bench or talent of starters in certain positions. But obviously with injury concerns, we all know about with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and even with James Harden and arguably with Russell Westbrook, even though Russell Westbrook has always been seen as an iron man. He's getting older, and with that almost always comes injuries. So I guess we're just going to have to see what the Clippers look like after this trade, what the Philadelphia 76ers look at, look at after this trade. And one more time, Sam Presti, if, if I could give you an applause, Sam, you'd get one. How you keep getting in these random three-team trades and getting the draft pick, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Like, they technically gave up a 2026 first-round pick, but it's protected. So even if it's, like, a top-ten pick, they're probably going to get it back. And they get a pick swap out of it from the Clippers in 2027 when Paul or Kawhi Leonard's going to be retired because of knee injuries. So how about that, Cage? How about that? Sam Presti continuing to show why he's such a good executive down there in Oklahoma City. There you go. But, but let me ask you a real question here. How would you feel about the Thunder if 
it was Carl Anthony Towns who demands a trade and they give up those first round draft picks just to get him. I would be disgusted with Sam <laughs> But I also I also know, Cajun, that Sam Press is an idiot and knows he doesn't need the absolute cancer that is Carl Anthony Towns. I know Sam Presti knows what his team is made of and does not need to trade for an absolute bum like Carl Anthony Towns. Like a slow, sluggish, anti-defense guy who you don't even know where he's going to play at this point, center or power forward. Because you got Chet Holmgren, who is fantastic. Folks if, you're t- folks, if you're tuning into Polar Opposites for the first time and you're hearing this, let me just state the obvious. Spencer Byers is not a fan of Carl Anthony Towns. We, this show is not. This show, we have some players we like and some players we don't like. Cage and I, we love Tyrese Halliburton. We love Dylan Brooks. Now because of the World Cup, might I add. Not because of his NBA play. But anyway, so Dylan Brooks been added to the, the, the top players list. Tyrese Halliburton added to the players list. Tyrese Maxey on the, the our, our favorite players list. Yep. Among others. Players we don't like. Rudy Gobert. Carl Anthony Towns. Anybody else, Gage? Anybody else? Anybody else in particular? Well, you hate Jimmy Butler. I don't mind him. I yeah, no comment on Jimmy Butler. That's I'm just not gonna do that right now. We're not gonna have that conversation <laughs> right now. No comment on Jimmy Butler. Oh man, uh, who else? I don't know how you feel about Julius Randle, but I'm not. A I fan. I know I know you're not a fan of Julius Randle. I know you are definitely a anti-Randle fan down there. If you were a Knickerbocker fan, well. Because Jalen Brun- Brunson hasn't gotten the respect he deserves. In fairness. So it's not really Randall's fault. It's just that Brunson's definitely been kind of not seen as a, a better player. When, in my opinion, Brunson is a better player. Just it's so there's so many good guards. I don't think he gets the credit because of that kind of thing. Where there's not as many good forwards. So Randall gets propped up that way. I do think that doesn't Randall happen. doesn't perform in the postseason. That's the biggest issue for me. Uh, and that remains to be seen, but in fairness, the Knicks have had a whole lot of success in the postseason, so I don't really think that's all in fairness on, on Julius Randle, but re- regardless. Who else? Who else, do, who else do we absolutely despise? Not a whole lot of guys anymore, Cage. Not a whole lot of guys, I don't think. Huh. I mean, without looking through all the rosters, Cage, I can't think of anybody else that's like, I, I don't like Trey Young. Um, I'm not a big fan of Zach Levine or uh, DeMar, uh, DeMar DeRozan, or as one of our professors once said, DeMar DeFrozen. DeMar DeFrozen. That was a classic, Cage. You and I both chuckled when he said that one. And as soon as he said that, he, he became defrosted. Yeah, yeah, yeah ironically. I, ironically. That, <laughs> that, 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 that those, two ding, those two things did correlate. So maybe, maybe it's all Ray's fault. Anyway, so now we will move on from players that we like slash don't like and the Harden trade to the NBA season. So more games going on last night. Obviously, Cajun at the Raptors game last night. I watched some of the Raptors game while I was cooking. I watched some of the Celtics well, game was, while I was cooking. See, but, see, I had to work, work it, so I had to see that travesty. Why would you put yourself through that? Well, because, Cage, I was I, – I just gotten up. I was going to start cooking. I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch some ball tonight because I thought we were recording last night. So I was like, okay, I'll watch some ball. I put on the Celtics – or I was looking for the Celtics game. Couldn't find it. Had to watch it on my phone. Put the Raps game up on my TV because it was on TSN. You know, I, I had the whole setup going. 
you know, and thank God I didn't watch most of the Raptors game because it was horrible. The offense was garbage. Absolutely atrocious by the Toronto Raptors. Only way I can put it, Cage, is I don't know what the score is at half, but I know the score. What, sorry? It was 50 to 47. Okay, well, it was 50-48 with like 10 minutes left in the third quarter. So like. They had started the third quarter, and they were still basically at that scoreline. The Celtics at half had 77 points at half against the Washington Wizards. And again, it's Washington. They suck. But it's still 77 points, which is pretty sick. So anyway, there are three undefeated teams currently, Cajun, in the NBA. Dallas Mavericks, surprising, but they haven't played anybody yet. We'll talk about that in a second. The Denver Nuggets. You thought they were going to take the regular season lightly. Oh, you simpleton, you. And then, of course, the best team in the NBA, the Boston Celtics. Undefeated. The only undefeated team in the Eastern Conference. How about that? The best team in the Eastern Conference? The best team in the league? I don't know about best team in the league. I best, the- team in the, best team in the Eastern Conference, for sure. Best team in the league? Damn close. Damn close. I still think Denver, Denver tops that list for me, but... Then again, they're the reigning champion, so there's that. Yeah, you're also biased because you're a Raptors fan. No, I've, I've, I've given the Celtics my due. Stinky, and- rotten, no-good Celtics fan. By the way, they also haven't played anybody yet. Like, the Lakers, they are mediocre. Memphis has not won a game yet this year. Oklahoma City, we, you and I both like, but they're going to have their growing pain still. And they played yeah, Utah. No. They played nobody. But the Thunder are 3-1, and one, and the Nuggets basically wiped the floor with them. Yeah, but it's that's a young team, thunder. you know. That's that's a that's a young team, you know. You got they are a good young team. I agree. I agree with both of those statements. But still, you know, they're, they're a young team. They are a young team, and you got to give them a chance to have games like this against the rating defending uh, NBA champs. My issue, my my like, I think the one thing with the Nuggets, I think like nobody is nobody might figure out for a while, is their starting lineup. Now, they don't have the talent like the Celtics do. But there's, but the synergy and chemistry on both ends of the floor is unparalleled from their starting lineup. Obviously, you got the head of the snake in Nikola Jokic. A great second star in Murray, who could be the number one option on a lot of teams. Michael Porter Jr. finally now knows his role. Rebounds, hits threes, does, does, does more of the little things than... Maybe maybe we saw him in his early Nuggets days or at Missouri. Um, KCP knows his role, three and D guy, and Aaron Gordon, who who really has changed that Nuggets team for the better because he he's played to his role, and he could be a lot better than, and he could do a lot more than he is. To me, it to it. To me, that's what Boston has to emulate. Like certain player, uh, Drew Holiday needs to know his. Drew Holiday, at the end of it, has to play a la Aaron Gordon. Or so does Derek White. And Porzingis has to adjust because Tatum and Brown are going to be your top dogs. So Boston does emulate Denver to some degree. Then talent-wise, talent that, that kind of overshadows Denver. 
But until that happens, Denver's a top dog until proven otherwise. Well, Cage, I'm not sure if they proved it last night. So I'm not going to say they did because, again, Washington sucks. Like, we can be honest, Washington might might win 20 games this year. Um, But the Celtics were up by as, money, as much as 30. They only won the game 126-107. But they were up big throughout that game, Cage. Going into the fourth quarter, it was well into a 30-plus point lead for the Celtics. The reserves kind of let it slip there in the fourth quarter. Um, I think I think it's like had 108 by the by going into the fourth quarter. So I mean they only scored about 20 points in the in the fourth quarter. So, um, that was disappointing. Like Peyton Pritchard going 0 for 8 from the field, that's disappointing. But seven rebounds and six assists is really good. But like the Celtics, you know, you got Jalen Brown had 36. He had 27 in the first half. J- uh, Jason Tatum 33 points. Chris Stops, seven for nine from the field. He had 15 points. D. White, eight assists, only shot the ball three times, made two of them. Drew Holiday shot the ball seven times, made four, had 11 points with a cup with a block and a steal and doing his defensive duties as does Derek White does and et cetera. So very oh, impressive start so by the, so the, the – go ahead. Something so good. They're oh, doing great. They're not good, Kate. They look great. The starting yeah. lineup looks great. The starting lineup does look great. I will agree with that. Can they continue this? I, I think so. I, I think it is sustainable. Because they have had some good wins. But, uh, they, they have had some Good wins, Washington. They took care of business, and that's what a great team is supposed to do: take care of business. Something these uh, I don't even want. I don't even know how to do this without cussing. These bummy Raptors can't do against Portland. Um, but that's beside the point. Um, they struggled against they struggled against the Knicks, but found a way to win. That's what great teams do. They took care of business against the Heat, although that game was a little bit closer, closer than people than maybe Celtics fans would like. They pulled that one off, and they took care of business at Washington. I'm excited to see that game uh, that game tomorrow against the, the Pacers, though, because that's going to be a fun one. Um, but for all those worries about chemistry and can they get it together quickly, they figured it out. They fi- they they figured it out. A regular season, um, mind you, mind you. I believe, and we've got a Celtics, and we've got a Celtics fan. Like, and Spencer's a Celtics fan here. Somehow, I had Boston at one. So they're looking up to par at least for the regular season, and there's going to be games in which. They're going to struggle because they're trying to figure out like what the hierarchy is. Now it's only been three games, but they figure, but they're on the right track. They're on the right track. The only issue for me is going to be obviously this. This goes for all all thirty teams in the NBA. Health. Can they stay healthy over the over the grind of a regular season? And I feel like they need one or two guys to step up from the bench. 
because they're very top heavy. That really hasn't changed that much. Because Peyton Pritchard had a great preseason, but that hasn't translated into the regular season thus far. I think either him or someone and or like or like Al Horford, someone someone else has to step up from that bench to kind of like ease the pressure off of the starters. But that's just like nitpicking at that point. They look great to start off. That they do. A team that looks like absolute garbage to start this season is the Jaw Morantless. Memphis Grizzlies. They're 0-4 right now. Haven't been able to win a game. In fairness, they played against Denver. They played against Dallas, two teams that are undefeated. But losses to New Orleans and Washington, the aforementioned Washington Wizards, definitely not what you want to see with a team that you already know is missing their best player and also missing Steven Adams for the season due to an injury. Definitely not the start you would have wanted to see from a team that was definitely hoping to continue to be the second-best team in the West, which they were last year, but it has not been a good start down there in Memphis. It hasn't, and I don't know how you feel about this, but damn, Marcus, Marcus Smart be hurting right now. Um, and to me, it just comes down to consistent scoring because they scored 104 points. Now, maybe if this was the early 2000s, they'd have a great they'd have they'd have like like a top five offense in the league. But we're not in the 2000s anymore. 104 points isn't going to cut it. Um, and 106 against a a sorry defensive team in the Wizards. That's not going to cut it. They don't, like, you could talk about, okay, maybe defensively they're not the greatest. It's their offense that's the issue to me. And um, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been hot and cold to start off. Desmond Bain has had some good games, but he's I think he's had a clunker every now and then. Marcus Smart actually has not looked bad off. Offensively to start off, but it also doesn't help when you when like you one you don't have many there's not many scoring options on this Memphis team because they're starting Xavier Tillman and Tillman was never known for being a scorer. Case in point, last night against Dallas went three for fourteen. Um, and. I don't think the bottom has fallen off for the for the Grizzlies yet because this is a whole other territory that they're in. They don't have ties. They've in past years they've known as they've been known as a team that has thrived with John Mar- if John Morant is out, they can hold they can hold down the fort, but that was with Tyus Jones in the mix. He's not there anymore. So Zaire Williams is playing big minutes and they've had to adjust to that and they've had to make bigger, big adjustments. And so far it hasn't paid off in terms of like the standing. So they, they have looked disappointing, 
but I don't think it's going to get worse. I think, I think the worst has happened, and I think they're going to figure it out and be close to 500 when John Moran comes back. But this isn't the start that you want if you're Memphis. No, it's not. Another mentioned name for injury, Santi uh, Aldama, who is a more offensive big, who would probably mm-hmm. be starting at center over Tillman, who is an undersized big. Uh, he's out right now, and he's, again, a really good offensive option, in my opinion. So uh, him being out doesn't help, Brandon Clark being out doesn't help. Like Memphis has been ravaged by injuries, too, including, obviously, John Morant's suspension and Stephen Adams being out for the year. I so, think Obama is a better option for, for the bench because – I'm looking at I'm looking at the bench stats right now. They only have 13 points off the bench. Somebody they need an offensive minded guy off the bench, and Aldama could easily be that guy. They they need a lot of things, Cage, right now. They need a lot of things. Uh, you'd say maybe they need John Morant, but obviously uh, he won't be back for the next. Uh, they played four games, so 21 games and counting. Yep. Another team that has not been able to win a game yet this season, the lowly Houston Rockets continue oh. to be the lowly Houston Rockets. So Dylan Brooks's current team and Dylan Brooks's former team. Yeah, so Dylan Brooks's current and former teams are 0-7 right now in the year. So Dylan Brooks obviously is doing something wrong. But he was getting the bag. So you know what? In fairness, Dylan Brooks, he is getting the bag. He's but, actually shot efficiently in those three games too, which is kind of crazy considering he's historically been known as an inefficient shooter. Yeah, and same thing with Marcus Smart, ironically, as you as you mentioned that. Um, Jabari Smith has probably been the biggest disappointment, I would say, for the Rockets. I know because he was on my fantasy team until I dropped them for uh, the fantasy god that is Ben Simmons. Um, wonder, gotta wonder how long it takes for Amen Thompson to start to start starting for Ima Udoka and the Houston Rockets. But obviously, this is not a good team. Like I think we all kind of know that this Houston Rockets team is not very good. But you gotta hope that they're gonna be able to kind of iron out some of these mistakes they're making, like Fred Van Vliet shooting 37% from the field. Jalen Green's not not been shooting well, efficient, not been shooting efficiently well start off this season. Obviously, Sangoon's fantastic. But other than probably Sangoon and Brooks, you would say the rest of this Rockets team really needs to find its next gear if they want to make any push forward with this roster and all these young guys. And I think that's that's the thing. They're, they've added a lot of guys, so chemistry is still sort of an issue. And, they, and, and the young guys just have to shoot better and figure, th- figure things out. Obviously, Jalen Green didn't really shoot the ball well last season to begin it off. Fred Van Bade didn't shoot the ball well at all last year, so not sure if that's really a surprise. I'd like to see Amin Thompson get some more minutes and take advantage of that uh, and and run with it like his twin brother Osser has, who, by the way, has been playing absolutely amazing. I'm benefiting benefiting from that fantasy-wise, but we'll get to him in a bit. Um, But it's a new coach, new system, and players got to buy in their roles. And they're young, so egos do play a role in that, and do play a factor in that too. I don't think they're a playing team. I think they're going to be near the bottom of the West because the West is just that deep. The West just has a lot of good teams, at least regular season wise. That definitely is true. Now, but, the worst team in the East. Oh, wait, Kate, you got something else to say? Uh, but. 
they'll have they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out to the point where it may not result in in many wins, but they'll be better as the season progresses. Well, on to the worst team in the East, a team that scored in their first four games, 100 points in two of those four games, both of which were losses, might I add, are the Toronto Raptors, Cage. They have really struggled this season, especially on offense, in my opinion. Even though the passing has been up, the scoring hasn't been up. And it came to a head last night when they lose 99-91 to the Portland Trailblazers, giving Portland their first win of the season. And that season win is without Anthony Simons, who's probably their best player. Cage, I, other, I'm not really sure where to go with that after that, Cage. What'd you make of the game? What'd you make of the game last night? Well, first of all, I'm glad. Well, they were down one with like three, four teams to go, and I'm like, they better not win this game. Like, by they I mean Toronto, and me being the Raptors fan out of all that, um, because I'm like, you can't be, you can't. To me, it's like you're better off losing a game like, like as a fan. I'm more content with them lose. Like, if it's a close game, I'd be more content with them losing than winning a close game against a team that you're supposed to be taking care of business against. So, now full credit to Portland. Full credit to Portland. Shaden Sharp played great. Mark, the, Portland does have NBA talent. Like, there's Brogdon as like the sixth man on that team, and he outscored the bench by the Raptors bench by himself, twenty-one to seventeen. Which I think is the biggest issue. Which I think is the biggest issue because there's a couple of guys that have stepped up in terms of like roles. I think we've seen Scott. We've seen Scotty Barnes be more assertive on the offensive end and aggressive. Maybe. Not always to uh, maybe maybe to a greater degree than I would would like, but there's some guy. But Scotty Barnes has looked good. Dennis Schroeder has looked good. Grady Dick has looked like he has belonged, but and you said you've said it yourself. There's they they pa- they're passing the ball a lot more, but more turnovers. And I think that, and and I think it's the, and not only is it the turnover, not only is it the turnovers, guys are trying to figure out their roles. Because, and I think the elephant in the room has to be Pascal Siakam. Because we haven't seen a game in which he has taken over down the stretch. I don't think he's even scored 20. In any of these, maybe, 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 maybe against Philly, maybe against. Uh, I'm just trying to look at this right now. I think he had 15 against. He had 15 against Minnesota, 17 against Philly, 17 against Chicago, 11 against. 11 against Philly. 
Oh, and he broke the 20-point mark in even 20 points against Portland. He's shooting under 40% from the field and 28% from downtown. For a guy that's supposed to be the Raptors' best player, that can't happen. And I think, like, and it's not the fact that he's shooting the ball poorly. There's time. There's times on the. There's there's time when he's on that. There's times that I've watched game. There's times on the that I've seen him on the floor. In which he sort of like blends into the background. And I think like hierarchy needs to be figured out. And yes, it's a new coach. Yes, it's a new system. Yes, Darko Ryakovich has to figure out like what players can play in uh, what players can play in the system. But maybe it changes for each game based off of the matchups. But it's tough. It, it's it's caught. It's been tough to watch them offensively. Now defensively, they've looked good. They've looked good for stretches. Albeit not in the clutch when Brogdon blew by, blew by every time driving to the basket. You oh, like another, didn't like Malcolm Brogdon cooking the Toronto Raptors last night. I liked him fantasy wise because he dropped twenty one for me. Mind I might I might add he was a free agent pickup so there's that. Um, but offensively they gotta know their roles. Roles have to be figured out, and I think that that to me is the biggest issue, and the fact that teams don't respect Dennis Schroeder as a shooter. Might I add you, Dennis Schroeder is not a bad three point shooter, but he wasn't the same. But he isn't the same threat that Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet was for Toronto. And I think something, and I think like. This might get worse before it gets better, but there's and there's going to be a ton of growing pains. But when things do click, I think they will click. I'm still optimistic that it will turn it turn around. But right now, it looks tough, at least offensively. Defensively, it hasn't looked too bad. They have they have made life difficult defensively for stretches, albeit. There's still some there's still some inconsistencies on defense that needs to be ironed out. Um, but defensively they haven't looked bad. Offensively they've been atrocious and um, and it comes down to players knowing their roles. Players are t- guys are trying to do too much, trying to trying to go one one on four by themselves, letting the whistle affect them. As much as the last two minute report against the Bulls would kind of infuriate Raptors fans. It should have never gotten to that point in the first place. Um, but they got to play. But right now, like offensively, I see, and I think this might best describe it. I see a ton of individuals playing and not a team. When when the going gets tough, they got to play like a team offensively. They're playing like a team defensively, but not. When you have to put the ball in the bucket, I think the one stat occasion that says it all from last night's game against Portland, four for twenty nine from the three point line. That is basically fourteen percent to be exact. It is thirteen point eight percent 
from the from beyond the arc. See, OG, Scotty, and Dennis Schroeder are the only three players that made a three-pointer, OG making two of which in the game. So bad shooting night across the board, especially from behind the arc. And if you can't space the floor, you can't open up the paint. Mm. Just a just a sad reality of NBA now basketball. Their, now to their credit, a lot of the, a lot of those looks were good wide open looks. I think there was like a possession in which they were da- they were down one, and Scotty Barnes kicked it out to a wide open OG at an OB in the corner, missed the three, and next thing you know, Jeremy Grant hits a contested three. So that kind of sums up how that game went. Uh, that sums up how that game went offensively. It's a make or miss league. And right now the Raptors are missing a lot more than they are making. And it's hard. And this, their place in the standings show exactly that. Okay. Before I, that was a perfect transition to what we were going to go to next, but I do want to give you a chance to talk about this. since you put it in our, since you put it in our lineup, you put it on the phenomenon of Grady Dick here in Toronto. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> and the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because Cajun wrote it down. Cajun wrote it down. So I'm going to talk about it. Obviously, Cage, you work in MLSE. You work at Scotiabank Arena, where the Raptors and Leafs play. Yep. And apparently, from what you tell me, Cage, you can tell the audience. There's a lot of Grady Dick jerseys. A lot of number one, not not a Dick number one on the on the uh, around the building. Yeah, they knew Grady Dick and the Raptors knew what they were doing with this. They knew what they were doing with this, and it just made me realize as I see the number like. The amount of Grady Dick jerseys. I am not going to say just his last name on there because that is. We could say sus here, right? I'm not going to fight you. We, we'll say that's suspect. We'll say it's a little suspect. It may be. I see. So I would prefer Cajun if you put it this way the Ratatouille chef. Highly suspect, Cajun. Highly suspect. Highly suspect. There you go. Toronto, Toronto, kind of looking a little highly suspect out here with the amount of Grady Dick jerseys. And man, um, now him as a player, theoretically, is what Toronto needs, and his off-ball movement has been imperative. He had a great game against Philadelphia. He may not. He he didn't make his threes against Portland, but he he looks like and defensively like heading into the draft that was his biggest issue, but he hasn't looked bad. He hasn't looked bad. It's just shots haven't been falling enough for him. Um, as Aside from that Philly game. But the bigger thing with him is his last name. Because now commentators have to watch what they're saying when when he's on the floor. Because, like, anything that sounds a little innocent, and Spence, I think, mentioned, uh, like, earlier in our conversation earlier like before we started we started recording this episode Spencer mentioned a call from Matt Devlin that kind of like that 
people will say is highly suspect. Um, but because of his last name, he's going to be a meme. He already is a meme, Cage. There is no going to be. He already is one. He's been one since he got drafted. And, uh, and when he got drafted, I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, boy, here come the memes. And I know how highly suspect Toronto Toronto mans are. So I'm like, this ain't going to go well. And it hasn't. And it hasn't. I'm like, I'm like, bruh. I see, uh, I'm like, I see, I see the number of Brady Dick jerseys, and then I see one there. I'm like, okay there. Okay there. I'm like, It's sweat. It's it, the phenomenon of Grady Dick has swept Toronto, I might say, but will he? T- will he be a worldwide meme by the time his career is said and done? Absolutely. Well, speaking of other rookies, Cage, that are actually playing well for their basketball teams. Brandon Miller is leading the way in points per game by any rookie at 17.3 a night. Wembenyama is just behind him, and then Chet Holmgren is number three. Brandon Miller's not even starting yet for Charlotte. He is playing more minutes than both Wemby and Chet, but he's not starting like Wemby or Chet. Um, But also to add to that, the difference here, I think, between Brandon Miller and a guy like Chet Holmgren is the defense. Chet Holmgren's averaging almost three blocks a game already for Oklahoma City, and I've got to make sure I find this before I say it because I want to say it, Cage, but I want to make sure I get the stat right. There it is. Against Cleveland in game two of the regular season, he had 16 points, 13 rebounds, and seven blocks. Yeah, yeah, seven blocks. My God. And I literally saw an article and literally like he was clamoring that he should have had more than those seven blocks. He was calling out the statisticians. Give me my blocks, statisticians. Give me my blocks. I was like, God damn, Chet Homer, he had seven. Seven's not enough, Cajun. He wants eight, nine. He wants a triple double in blocks. He wants to he wants to be the next uh Akeem Olajuwon, David Robertson. Robinson, I guess I should say. Mm. Um, no, like these rookies have started off great. There's one player that you forgot to that that uh, you left out there, and I think I might have said this before. Oscar Thompson. I was just going with the point getters cage. Oscar Thompson is is seventh in points per game, at eight and a half points per game. He's averaging ten and a half rebounds though, which is the most of any rookie. Um. His shooting percentages obviously are low, but he, I believe, will fix that as the season goes on. Um, he's also averaging two and a half blocks per game is Oscar Thompson with Detroit. He's also starting for Detroit. Um, and his minutes are actually right up there with Scoot Henderson, who's also starting for Portland. And ironically, again, Brandon Miller still is averaging more minutes than everybody, not even starting for Charlotte. So Coach Clifford over there in, in Charlotte, obviously, wanting to get Brandon Miller involved, just not immediately. 
I think eventually he will start. You'd have to think. I think it might have to take a Gordon Hayward trade for that to happen. And it could happen because he, I, th- I believe his contract is an expired one. I got to check that. I think Gordon Hayward's contract is expiring. So they don't have to worry about, like, the teams don't have to worry about, like, the contract that he, like, the cost of the contract and his injury history because it's going to be, it's only, he'll be a free agent after the end of the season. Um, But once that happens, once that, the inevitable happens, you'll see Brandon Miller starting and He surprised me because you would think with, like, some of the talent that Charlotte had coming into the season, you'd think Brandon Miller wasn't really going to have a chance to, like, blossom at least to start off the season. That's also before Miles Burgess was issued a criminal summons. Um, and, and before Kai Jones got waived. But he showed that he has belonged and he, and those, that scoring chops that he has, that he showed at um, Alabama have translated over to the NBA so far. So, good on Brandon Miller. Good on Brandon Miller. Now, in case of our last topic of the show, and actually one more thing I do want to mention before we move on, is Scoot Henderson, who yeah. has started all four games for Portland, but he has really struggled this year. He only averages eight, about eight points per game. He's shooting abysmal. 33% from the field, 5% from three. 5.6%. So that means he's made, what, one three on attempts? As I go quick look at his game log, let's run, Cage. Three in four games, he has hit one three out of, what is that? Uh, oh, God, actually, 18. So he's one for 18 from the three-point line is Scoot Henderson. Damn. So struggling is the current beater of Toronto, but current third overall pick, Scoot Henderson. I mean, and rookie point guards have notoriously started off slow for the most part. Um, especially giving giving the keys to a to a franchise that doesn't have as much. Now, Portland does have a little bit of talent when you're talking about Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons. And I think the Simons injury has kind of, like, has really hurt Henderson in terms of, like, his efficiency. Because teams can just be more focused on Scoot um, in comparison, like, with no disrespect to Shaden Sharp, and I love Shaden Sharp's game. But... Shannon Sharp isn't the same threat right now as Anthony Simons is. Because Anthony Simons is more established as a scorer, just like in the NBA right now. But that could change any that could change soon if Sharp does step up. But teams are more locked in on him. And he's got that target on his back. And he was not known as a threatening jump shooter to start it off. At least from three point three point nine, and that's translated to the NBA. 
Now, I think he is going to get better. Um, but there are going to be a ton of growing pains, especially playing for a rebuilding Blazers team. And it'll like and they will struggle even more because like guys like Malcolm Brogdon are, you you would think are going to be inevitably traded come trade deadline. Um I think he'll figure it out. I think it's too early to tell. Somebody said he was putting up G League stats. Um which I think is a little bit unfair because he's it's just four games in. Like and maybe this is an extreme example. But the great Kobe Bryant but the great Kobe Bryant didn't didn't have the greatest rookie season. Granted, he was 13th overall. It's a different, it's a different sort of scenario. He was also 18, so Scoot's got a couple, a year, at least a year or two on him. But I, I understand the point you're making. He didn't start off well. A lot of guards don't really start. A lot of look, rookie lead guards get off to slow starts. It's how you bounce back from adversity. And I think Scoot will figure it out. But I think the shooting struggles in terms of like from the three point arc will kind of persist throughout his rookie season and that's an that's an adjustment he's either going to have to make in season or come off season to his second year well he did have seven assists and two steals in the win over toronto so maybe he is more moving into that passer role which would definitely help out his stats if he moves into more of a passer role but now cage to end off the show yep many many moons ago Alan and I talked about the player participation policy, and we uh, and he asked me who was going to break it first, Cage. And then I came on this show the very next day and said, Cage, Al asked me this question. What do you think? I said Philly, which now looks like the, like looks to be almost an impossibility. Al said Phoenix. You said Miami. I think Los Angeles now is a prime candidate to still break it, but. As we, you and I mentioned a lot throughout when we first talked about it, then we, when we re-talked about it, when Al brought up this particular uh, who would break it first question, it's going to get exploited like everything else, and it already has been being exploited. Already. Yep. There's... It's more so proven that, like, with all the with all these players resting, like Jimmy Butler being one of them, um, some people some people from our graduating class of CSM called him Himmy Butler. Uh, I know you hate that term, but that I do. But resting players ain't going to ain't going to change. They're just gonna find. They're just gonna find more sneaky ways to do it. They're gonna just hide it a lot better. Or you could have a team that you could have a team that just doesn't care, just pay fines. And there's got to be more of a structure in place. And I said, and I said it on our on our last, and I said on our last episode. And maybe this might be bold, but I don't think Adam Silver does not have the same backbone that David Stern has. I think all this wouldn't be wouldn't have flied under David Stern. 
And I think another rule that's kind of like meant a lot of nothing has been the flopping tech. Because I lost count of how many flops I've seen and they've been called for fouls. So, like, what are we doing here? Like, like there's a lot of rule changes, but they've amounted to a lot of nothing at the same time because you still got guys resting on, on like, second night and back-to-back, which for some players it is kind of fair because of their injury histories. But... It still reared its. It still reared its head. Teams, some teams do do it blatantly, and there hasn't been significant punishment for it. Well, Cage, I'll be honest here. Looking at the NBA website, there over half of these articles are injuries, like Ruby Hachimura eye injury, Kyrie Irving foot injury, OG Ananobi leg injury, Devin Booker injury, Presses Atua injury, Aaron Fox injury. Um, uh, Draymond Green coming back from injury, Bradley Beal injury, Anthony Simons injury. Like it, it's, it's getting to that point where I feel like guys are not necessarily faking injuries, but they're over, they're exacerbating. They're, they're over, they're inflating their injury, you know, like it's tightness. And they're like, oh, I'll sit out tonight because I'm hurt. And they'll get that check mark because the doctor, right? The thing saying I, it's a back tightness I or whatever. I think there's some players there that like don't warrant that because I I'm not you... saying everybody, Kate. I'm just saying I definitely think that's ha- that's gonna happen, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's already happening. Yeah, because I remember that Lakers Kings game in which Fox actually got hurt. He actually he he had no business playing overtime and tried to play overtime, and in the process might have made it a little bit worse, but. I see your point. Like, I get what you're saying. It's, it's an epidemic. It's an being epi- an epidemic. It is an epidemic, and until there's like a structure in place in which there's like a set sort of rules. If you rest, if you rest a certain time, if if players start resting games, they get like there's. I I honestly think it should. About to suspensions. If you can play and great, you're great. Not, give them more like, rest, Cage. Give them more rest. Why not? Like no, it really is no way to win. In huh? my mind. It really is no way to win. Cause it's like either you suspend them and they get more time off. You don't you fine them and they probably appeal the fine. You find the team and the team just eats it because they have a billionaire owner. Or players could just eat fines too if they're if they're getting paid like fifty mil a year. Yeah, but I think the CBA is is low enough that it it you know that it it really doesn't make much of a difference to the athlete. But that that that's nor here nor there. I think like maybe this is extreme, but but like if if. If a player does not play and can play, either suspend the player like three or five games or have the team lose a draft pick. Something drastic has to change here. Something drastic that will make 
players and fans go, okay, what the actual, you know what? But what's happening right now ain't it. And it's like, it's not only taken away from the product of like an NBA game, like in which, like, in which it doesn't look the most competitive or the best brand and best product of NBA basketball. It's taken away from the fan experience too. Cause fans don't deserve to see to travel all to travel like travel and shell out their money to see their favorite player only to find out that he's resting. Or that he's nursing an injury that he could easily play through. And I also know they tried to make it where you only rest at home. But that's even like as much as like yeah they only go to certain places once a year so obviously you want them to play in that once a year game if it's Tatum or that's LeBron or, or whatever but that's their home fan I can see them 41 times and you're telling me out of the 41 games they're gonna play at home I get to see Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown together maybe 35 34 times and that's if you're a season seat holder what about the what about the fans who can't afford that yeah the casuals the 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 little kids that are you know are going for a birthday present or a christmas present and the game they happen to go to tatum's not playing he's he's taking his he's taking his sit which again is his right is his prerogative but it's still the fan experience you're taking away from credit credit to credit to guys like tatum and brown i don't think they've done it they've only done it like maybe no end of the regular season end of the regular season and that's warranted because like if you've already cl- it's warranted if you're resting near the end of the regular season like with five, four or five games left when you've already clinched a spot because it doesn't make any sense it does not make sense to go logistically it doesn't make sense to go hard at the end of the regular season when you've already clinched everything and just to pick up an injury before playoffs start so that sort of makes sense but during the the regular season in the middle Nah, or, that, or beginning like right now when the season's just starting, it hasn't even been two weeks in. That's why I'm confused because of all these entries. How is Bradley Beal already hurt? How is Kyrie Irving already hurt? Guys, we've most teams have played what three and four games already. How is everybody already hurt? How is everybody already nursing stuff? Like, what are you guys doing all off season? Eating cookies? Like, what do you guys my what do you guys have my off season regimen of eating you know eating cookies and and not eating not eating right and not working out or anything? Like, what's going on here? It it makes zero sense to me, and I th- and it's not only that, it's not only that rule. They introduced a flopping tech, and yet I still see and y- yeah, I saw it a couple times in the the Celtics game. Um, I think the first one I saw, the first game of the year. <laughs> Pardon us, we we both had the sniffles, ironically, but um, they uh they called it on Porzingis. And then they called it going the other way against the other team. And I'm not really sure. And my problem with that tech, honestly, Cage, they don't even really call it. They, like, flag it first, and then they blow the whistle and they call it. Because it's, it's a, it technically is a technical it's – a, it's a flagrant one. So you get one free throw in the ball. But it's, like, really weird how they call it. So it, it's just really awkward. Not only that, it's also a judgment call, which you'll always have disagreements on. For it being a flop or not being a flop. Or an embellishment, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's just like there's all these rules, uh, and I feel like I'm being a 
a tape recorder here. There's there's a lot of these rules that are being put in place, but unless they're enforced properly, they, they all, they'll amount to a whole lot of nothing. And they already have. So, okay, do you know what we're going to do? I was going to say what I thought they should do. But you know what we're going to do, Cage? That's going to be next episode. On Thursday, in two days' time for your regularly scheduled programming, Cage and you and I will start off the show. Regardless of what happens in the next two days, you and I are going to start off the show with what we would do to fix the players' participation issue. The problem with players not playing enough games. You and I will come up with a one or two rules to fix it. Because I don't think one rule would fix it. So we'll say one or two rules to try to fix the player participation problem in the NBA. And maybe not to spoil things a bit, but I don't think it's just the NBA as a league that has to re- re- enforce this. Teams have to, too. Exactly. There has to be some sort of, I'll say, I hate the word culture in sports because it's overused, but that type of that type of movement inside the locker room of, okay, guys, we're not just setting out games to set out games. So that's stupid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll do that next episode. That'll be something we do. We talk about rules we would implement if we were the commissioner of the NBA, if we were the czar of the NBA. What rules would we implement to try to fix the player <laughs> participation issue that has continued to play? And then we can maybe argue and bristle each other. Like, hey, I think your rule sucks, and here's why. Yeah. Because, you know, that's always fun to do. But I think that's it, Cajun. You got anything else before we run away? Well... I was uh, we it kind of slipped out it kind of slipped out of my mind at this at this time like um but uh let me actually see I got to shout out Chris Paul I got to shout out Chris Paul We were talking about how Westbrook has has let go of his ego and played to his role credit Chris Paul is now granted it's been early but until this season, he never, he had not come off the, be- he had not, he's he's always started in his 19-year career, like, since 2005. For the first time in his career, he's come off the bench. And give him credit, he has thrived. The Warriors have looked a lot better in terms of their bench. Guys are playing more empowered, like Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. Dario Saric, you mentioned Trace Jackson Davis, Podzimski. Um, they're playing accordingly to their roles, and this that's made this Warriors team more dangerous than they were last season. Now, can they make some noise in the West compared to the Nuggets? That remains to be seen. But shout out to Chris Paul, man. Like, it's not easy being an established type of player like he is and having to swallow your pride and come off the bench, but he's done it to prefer but he's done it great so far. And the Warriors have looked good ever since losing, losing their whole, their season opening game against the Suns. Well, all I have to say is I picked him to win sixth man of the year. And I feel very confident in that choice right now, but that'll be, that'll be it here for us. Was that Cajun? And that you should be. And that I should be. Well, I'll be here for us. 
for Cajun, Theru, Danny Castleham. I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for taking us in here today. We'll be back for regularly scheduled programming on Thursday. I believe there will be an Outrage episode also out tomorrow. So do stay tuned for the Outrage tomorrow. Polar Opposites on Thursday. But for this Polar Opposites episode, thank you so much for tuning in on the Outrage Inc.